This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. One night, he was dreaming about driving with the wind in his hair. Wait, no. He was eating a quesadilla. Wait, no. He was building a model stegosaurus in his woodshop when an angel of the Lord appeared to him in his dream and said, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, for what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And when he is born, you shall name him Jesus, for he is to come and save you from your sins. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. I'm just really thankful for creative people. So um, I appreciate Jared and Dom and Reed for acting out all of those, uh, all those parts of this story. We're in Matthew chapter one, if you didn't know. So uh, based upon that, that's where we'll be. <clears throat> in the book, How Life Imitates the World series, David Boswell tells a story of Earl Weaver, who was a major league baseball manager and a famous player by the name of Reggie Jackson. Uh, Weaver had a rule that you don't steal a base unless he gives you a sign. Jackson thought, I'm good enough that uh, I can read the pitcher and the catcher and know which that I can steal off of and which I can't. And so uh, on one game in particular, Reggie Jackson decided he was going to steal without a sign. He read the pitcher and the catcher and decided he would steal the base. So he got a good jump beat the throat a second. As he slid in, he stood up, dusted himself off with a big smile on his face, and basically feeling that he had vindicated his judgment to his manager. But it was Weaver who would take Jackson aside later and explain why he hadn't given the steal sign. First, the next batter was Lee May. Lee was the second most powerful hitter in the lineup, and so when Jackson stole second, first base was left open, which allowed them to intentionally walk May, so therefore taking the bat out of his hands. Second, the following batter, the batter that followed Lee May, had not been strong against that, that specific pitcher. So Weaver felt the need to then pinch hit so that, that, uh, so that they could try to drive those guys home and score runs. So here's the problem. Reggie Jackson only saw his relationship to the pitcher and the catcher. But Earl Weaver saw the whole game. And when we think about our life, we too can only see so far. But God sees the bigger picture. He sees the whole picture of your life, the beginning, the end. He sees the whole picture of the world that we live in. And so listen, when God sends us a signal, it's wise for us to obey, no matter what we think we might know about the future of our life. And we're going to read today about a story about a man who could only see what was in front of him, 
But God knew the bigger picture, and so when God sent him a signal, he, was, he obeyed it, and this man serves as a great example for you and I in our walk with the Lord. Now remember, this is the characters of Christmas, so we're doing character studies. I want to state from the very beginning, Jesus is the central figure of the Christmas story. We're going to talk a lot about Joseph today, where somebody might say, that preacher didn't talk about Jesus much at all today. And the truth is, is that I'm stating it right now. Jesus is the central figure, but we're going to look at the life of Joseph as an example for us. Because frankly, Joseph could do the things that Joseph did because of God's work in his own life. They're not things that he could do on his own. They had to come from something greater. And so let's read Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 together. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Jesus will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Matthew begins uh, in similar fashion with this genealogy, just like the Gospel of Luke, which we'll look at next week when we talk about Mary. Genealogies were basically used to establish people's legitimacy, their rights, their heritage. And so Matthew is demonstrating Jesus' legal claim to the throne of David, emphasizing that he is a legal descendant from David and Abraham. The main character, as I said, of this story is Jesus, and we'll talk about him in this message, that who he is and what his role is, and, and that's, that's the most important piece, and I want to emphasize that. Jesus is God with us, and he saves people from their sins. There's no greater message than that with that. But the Christmas characters, the, those that are a part of the Christmas story, those that are in your nativity scenes and your houses that you hear talked about also play an important role that we can learn from, and Joseph is the first that we'll examine this morning. And I've chosen five characteristics of Joseph. Listen, I try to come up with some really creative things. I worked on this you know, multiple times this week trying to figure out what's some catchy ways that I could do this. And I basically just said, you know what, I'm just gonna walk up and give very simple characteristics of what Joseph is because that's just, it's just how it is. Because Joseph's not an aspiring figure from the past. He's a very excellent example of how, for us of how we can live in our present life. And so the first thing is this, Joseph is ordinary. You, as we read this text from verse 18 to 25, we can understand this. God used an ordinary man to carry out this extraordinary plan. How do we know that he was ordinary? Well, here's how we know. We know that his career path based upon study, was a carpenter. He was a hard worker that worked with his hands. We know that he was betrothed to be married to Mary, that he was gonna have a family. 
And we know that he was a man of faith because he was familiar with the teachings of God's law and God's word. So this, is there anything more ordinary than a man who loves the Lord, a man who loves his family, and a man who works hard to take care of his family? That's pretty ordinary, right? There's not, nothing special about any of those things. And so we know that Joseph and Mary are living their ordinary lives within the customs of their time. And their customs of their time would have been this, that somewhere in their childhood, Mary's father and Joseph's father kind of arranged this marriage for them to be married together. And so when the time, they would make this announcement and then there would become a time, and listen, I don't know the specifics about what age was Joseph and what age was Mary. They have ranges that they could be. We know this, Joseph was older than Mary. Mary's probably an early age teenager. And so some point in their life, the father said they're gonna get married. Mary came of an age in which she was ready to take that step into marriage. And so they moved into this so-called engagement time. Now, it's not like you and I's engagement time that we're accustomed to in our world today because in an engagement time, the guy or the girl can break it off at any time with like no real, you know, I mean, there might be consequences and hurt and pain and those kind of things, but there's nothing legally binding of this. But Mary and Joseph, in this one year that they're betrothed together, there's a lot of weight that comes behind it. In fact, they could call each other a husband and wife because this, this commitment was so weighty that the only way that it could actually be broken was by death or divorce from biblical grounds. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. And so the purpose of this one year was to demonstrate the bride's purity. So if for some reason she was found to be pregnant, the marriage could be ended. So here Joseph and Mary are, simply living an ordinary life within the customs of their times, and then something unexpected happens. Now, for you and I, we woke up today with a list of things that we've got to accomplish by the end of today, right? Tomorrow, you're gonna to get up and you're gonna go through your planned day accordingly, right? These things are gonna be laid out in front of you that you're gonna do. We make plans, we have dreams, but isn't it life that, all, that there are things that come up unexpected that stop our plans or disrupt our dreams and sometimes even shattering them because we didn't see it coming. And here's where Joseph is at. He sees the life in front of him and then something unexpected happens, which takes us to point number two. Not, Joseph was not only ordinary, but he was also righteous. And we learn this from verses 18 and 19. That God would use a man who did what was right in the difficult circumstances of his life because that unexpected thing was, if we are looking at the text, is that she was found to be pregnant. Now this would indicate that she might not have told Joseph initially. Now, next week when we look at Mary's life and when Jesus, or when the angel appears to her and tells her that she'll, she'll bear the Messiah, we, we understand this. She didn't immediately tell Joseph. Likely this encounter between her and Joseph happens after she's went to visit Elizabeth. So Mary gets told that you're gonna give birth to the Messiah. She goes and visits Elizabeth. Some three months later, she's back and she meets Joseph and it says that she's found to be pregnant. Now you and I have the privilege of reading Matthew's account. If we are reading in verse 18 towards the end of it, it tells us that this, birth, this child is from the Holy Spirit. When Joseph saw his wife, the one he's engaged to, he didn't have the phrase from the Holy Spirit. All he had was is, she's pregnant. 
and I haven't been with her, and I don't know how that, I don't know whose child that is, but it isn't mine. And so he's faced with this difficult circumstance. And put yourself in a situation where you're living your life, working your job, planning a future for your family, and then think about him, his wife, who he's trusted to be faithful, who he's trusted to hold up her end of the agreement, is now pregnant. Now, we don't know how Joseph felt. We don't, we don't know his feelings. We don't, there are actually no recorded words of Joseph in our text. And so we don't know what he was thinking and feeling, but it's hard for me to think about that he didn't have some sort of emotional response to this. Like the fact that he might be humiliated or that he was angry or jealous. So here's Joseph, stuck in this difficult circumstance, feeling betrayed, and yet the text tells us in verse 19 that he was a just man. Some of your texts might say a righteous man. And this is important. Because how do we know that he was just or righteous? We can infer from the scripture that he was righteous because he was committed to following the law. I won't read it, but Deuteronomy 22, 23 through 27 speaks about what happens in this situation. And basically what happens in this situation is you're to expose the sin of this person. So in this case, he's to expose the sin of Mary, present her to the religious authorities, and ultimately they could stone her to death. Like, he knows the law, and so he couldn't simply disregard the law. So he knows now I'm stuck with making a difficult decision based upon the evidence that is in front of me. And so Joseph being righteous, he knew the law stated that divorce to divorce an unfaithful spouse and to do anything else would be overlooking God's law. Listen, this is a great text about the power of the word of God in one's life. Because Joseph knew the law and he knew the word, he was able to make the right decision in the face of that difficult situation. Many of us today struggle in our faith to do what is right in difficult situations because we simply don't know the word of God. And if we can learn something from Joseph, it is to be a student of the word of God. And so like Joseph, we can easily be blinded by the circumstances of our life about what God's doing behind the scenes. And so here he is in this moment, making the right decision, unaware that God is working in such a way that will reveal to him in the coming moments what his options will be that he is not aware of. And as we think about Joseph and his example, even in the midst of this unexpected turn in this story, even though he was unaware of God's work behind the scenes, he was still doing what is right. I think about another Joseph, the Old Testament Joseph. You just want to talk about a guy that had a bunch of unexpected turns in his life, right? Has a prominent place in his own house, finds himself in a pit, sold as a slave, is it sold to Potiphar, works his way up into Potiphar's house, and then is put in prison because of false accusations, and then finds himself in a prominent place in Egypt. Listen, when Joseph was, Old Testament Joseph, because we're talking about two Josephs, when Old Testament Joseph was in the pit, he didn't know that he was gonna be in a place of prominence in Egypt later in his life. But in the moment that he was in, he did what was right in the eyes of God. You don't know what tomorrow holds for you, but what you can control today is to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. 
based upon your knowledge and understanding of who he is and his work in your life is to do what is right. And this is what we can learn from Joseph. And so I'll ask this question of you today for you to consider. How can you display Christian character like Joseph in a way that sets you apart in the world that you live? Takes us to the third characteristic of Joseph. He's ordinary, he was righteous, and he was sensitive. Now, I struggled using this word because some people might hear the word sensitive and think, well, Joseph must have had a hard, he must have been easily offended and got his feelings hurt often, (laughs) right? That's not the sensitive I'm talking about. I didn't know any other way to put it. I could have used maybe the word awareness, but here's what I know. Joseph had an awareness of what was happening around him. His sensitivity was an important part of the work that God would do through him and the birth of Jesus Christ. It would be his sensitivity to the word of God and to the work of God that would help him move forward in obedience. What do we know about Joseph's sensitivity? We know this. If you're looking in the text in verse 19, it says, he was being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Listen, he could have divorced her in normal fashion. Expose her, put her in front of everybody, They likely probably wouldn't have stoned her is what a lot of commentaries said, that they probably wouldn't maybe have put her to death, but she could have been put to death, but she would have definitely been pushed to the outskirts of society. But he, being sensitive to the Lord and to her and to the situation, made a decision to take option number two, which was to divorce her quietly in the presence of two witnesses. Now listen to these words. While embarrassment in his community was likely... There were going to be questions asked of him and of her. He was obeying his conscience and doing what was best for Mary. We live in a very self-centered world. We, we know this, we can see this, and we in this room, if we're honest with ourselves, battle selfishness every day. Joseph, in the midst of this situation, this life interruption, is, has so much sensitivity to it that he's actually putting the needs of Mary before, his, before himself. Now, would he have benefited from a private divorce? Of course. But the text tells us that he decided to divorce Mary quietly. Why? Because he knew what would happen if he did it the other way. And he put, himself, he put Mary before himself. And I think about these times in our lives when, we're, when our life is interrupted the questions we often ask ourselves is, is how do I get out of this situation? Or what can I benefit from this situation? Or how can I gain something from this situation? And we often disregard the other people in our life. And if there's something that Joseph can teach us, it's this, that what is most Christ-like is when we consider others greater than ourselves. Jesus, even his name signifying that he will save us, points to the fact that Jesus put us before himself. And Joseph is modeling this even in the birth narrative that he was considering Mary before himself. And Douglas O'Donnell in his commentary on this particular text said it would be like this. On one side, Joseph's got the, the, the law telling him, Exposure. This sin has to be exposed. And on the other side is the law talking about the grace and talking about the mercy and compassion of God's law. And so he's in this sensitivity stage where he's having to wrap his mind around all of this stuff. 
So instead of responding in anger and irrational thought and unstableness, he demonstrated great poise and grace. Took time, assessed the situation, thought through the options, and made the decision that was best for her. Listen, he didn't know what was going to happen in the future. He only saw what was right in front of him. I've never been in New York City. I don't really necessarily have any desire to go, but, but that's a whole other story. I've never been in New York City, so therefore I've never uh, been to the big parades that they do there and all those kind of things. When I think about parades, I think about the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. I would much rather watch that parade from my couch, not anywhere else. I, I, I have no desire to be to see that live and in person. But I can only think about this. If I'm watching that parade in the middle of those tall buildings, I can only see the parade that's right in front of me. I can remember the things that have passed by me and I actually have no idea what's coming because I can't see it. This is life. Life for us is what we can see right in front of us. Sure, we can remember things that have happened in the past, but we actually have no idea what's coming tomorrow. Some of you will wake up tomorrow and be blindsided by what's coming because, you can't, because all we can see is here. Now God sees the bigger picture. He sees the whole parade. He sees what's happening. And this is what Joseph was experiencing is that he was responding in sensitivity to what was right in front of him. Yet God was moving this parade of life through, through this parade of his life through him. And he was about to find out what was coming but he made the best decision based upon what he could see right in front of us. This is what we can learn from Joseph in our life is like, listen, trust and obey. Trust and obey. If God has been faithful, then trust and obey. That's it. Trust that when the next phase and the next chapter of your life moves in front of you, trust and obey. And this is what's happening with Joseph, which brings us to the fourth point, which is Joseph was obedient. I told you, these, these points were very thought-provoking, weren't they? Joseph is ordinary. Joseph is righteous. He's sensitive, and he's obedient. And now let's look at the text here. It says this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Dreams were used by God to pass on God's word to people. We see dreams in Genesis. We see dreams in Daniel. We see dreams in Matthew. Numbers 12 kind of point to this idea of where this belief that God spoke through dreams comes from because it says, hear my words, if there's a prophet among you, I, the, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision and I speak with him in a dream that the Jewish people believe that God would communicate his will in dreams. And so here we are, a dream. The Lord appeared in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. Let me point out the word son of David. There are only two people in scripture that are, that are called the son of David. Jesus is one. Joseph is the second. Now this is significant because God promised long ago that a king would come from the line of Judah, from the line of David, through his adopted father. We can read right here in this text that Jesus was the son of David. Other than Joseph, oh, I already said that one, sorry. The title brought authority, reminding Joseph of his lineage and preparing for the work, and that when Joseph would take Mary as his wife, he would take Jesus as his own, that Jesus would become legally a son of Joseph, therefore a son of David. It's a significant part of this text that needs to be pointed out. The angel then tells Joseph, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. For the first time in this interruption in Joseph's life, 
He becomes aware of where this baby came from. It's from the Holy Spirit. Again, we don't know what, how Joseph felt when he heard these words. We don't know what he thought because we don't have those. But all we know is this, is that the angel of the Lord quoted Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will be with child and, and bear a son, and, you shall call his, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Listen, when Joseph heard these words, because he was somebody who knew God's law, was a Jewish man who would have expected the coming of the Messiah. When he heard these words, it would have given him confidence that God was fulfilling a promise that he had made. And here Joseph is hearing how God was faithful to keep his prom the promises he had made. Daniel Darling in his book, the characters of Christmas, he says, this is why Matthew opens with such a bold claim that the son of a carpenter from Nazareth was no ordinary man, but was a king in the line of David, a fulfillment of God's promise. Jesus had to be virgin born in that he had to be free of the inherited curse of sin. And as Adam and as a new Adam, he would fulfill what the first Adam could not. Therefore, Matthew sets Jesus forth in the angel's words to Joseph as the rightful king coming to save his people. The angel not only told Joseph, this is where the baby came from, this is who the baby is, and this is what his role will be. And so he reveals these things. And so he's the, he tells Joseph that he's gonna name him Jesus. And this is significant because in their time, Jesus, the, the fathers are the ones who named their kids. And so by naming Jesus, this would be this way of him adopting him as, uh, Joseph would becoming Jesus' earthly father. He would be adopting him as his own. The only difference was is Joseph didn't get to pick the name because God had already picked it. This name is above every other name, meaning the Lord saves because it would be through Jesus that God's promised salvation would come to us. Now think about this. The promise that God would send a savior and giving that savior the name Jesus removed Joseph's doubts. And shouldn't these two reasons be enough for us that if God is calling us and leading us to do something, shouldn't these two reasons be enough for us to trust and obey? That God's promise and his fulfillment of the promise and the name above every other name in Jesus Christ, that these two things are reason us enough to place our trust and faith in God alone and obey what he's calling and leading us to do. And that's what's happened. And then it tells us that, and the text tells us towards the end at verse 24, it says, when Jesus, when jo not Jesus, when Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph immediately obeyed. I think we learned something about following Jesus before Jesus is even born from Joseph, and here's what I mean by that. One, we see this. Following Jesus is about immediate obedience. When Jesus would called the disciples to follow him, we know that they immediately left where they were and followed Jesus. I also believe that we see here that following Jesus cost you something. J Joseph's immediate obedience would be costly, and here's what it would cost him. It would cost him his comfort. He would put the comfort of his family above himself. 
It would cost him his reputation. He would bear the shame of sins he did not commit. And their honor and shame society, they were going to be looked at, talked about, gossiped about, and so forth because of what had happened. It would cost him his work. Think about in the early stages of Jesus' life from from Nazareth to Bethlehem to Egypt and so forth. He was gonna not be able to do his work that he normally would do. It literally would cost him his work. Ultimately, though, it cost him his life. Joseph would have to die to self in order to fulfill what God was calling him to do. Because following Jesus means that you deny yourself things that you might otherwise enjoy. Following Jesus and serving him is rarely convenient. It's going to cost you something. Joseph teaches us how to trust and obey. He teaches us how to accept dying to self. He teaches us about being willing to be inconvenienced. He teaches us the difference between being obedient to God rather than performing for God. Susan Masonick in the Discipleship Journal says, there's a line between obedience and performance that can be a blurry one. Yet it is an important distinction to grasp because obedience leads to life and performance leads to death. And here's why, and here's, here's the difference between the two. Obedience is seeking God with your whole heart. Performance is having a quiet time because you'll feel guilty if you don't. Obedience is finding ways to let the word of God dwell in you richly. Performance is about quickly scanning a passage so you can check it off your Bible reading plan. Obedience is about inviting people into your home for dinner. Performance is feeling anxious about whether every detail of that meal will be perfect. Obedience is about following God's prompting to start a small group. Performance is reluctance to let anyone else lead the group because they might not do it as well as you would. Obedience is doing your best. Performance is wanting to be the best. Obedience is saying yes to whatever God asks of you. Performance is saying yes to whatever people ask of you. Obedience is following the prompting of God's spirit. Performance is following a list of man-made requirements. And obedience springs from a reverence of God where performance springs from a fear of failure. And when I look at the life of Joseph, I see a man seeking God with his whole heart. I see a man who let the word of God dwell in him richly. I see a man who was willing to invite people into his home. I see a man who was doing his best, saying yes to whatever God was asking him to do, following the promptings of God's spirit, and he did it all out of a reverence for God. And while Joseph may be shy or quiet, we see how his actions speak louder than words because his actions were obedient and these obe- this obedience spoke clearly to who Joseph was and what he believed about God. That he believed God to be so great that he aligned his life to be in obedience to him. And I don't know what God's calling you to do, but I can say this. God's not a passive God who's fine with you sitting on the bench of life. He is a God who wants you to be actively engaged and has invited you to be engaged in the mission to advance his gospel message forward. And I don't know what he's calling you to do, but I'll ask this question of you this morning. Are you willing to obey God and what he's calling you and asking you to do, even though it might cost you something 
when it's, when it's all said and done. And it brings us to the fifth and final point, which is that Joseph was self-disciplined. God used a man who had the discipline to finish the task that he had been given. The text tells us in verse 25, but he did not know her until she had give, given birth to a son. The phrase did not know her points to the fact that Joseph refrained from any sexual relations with Mary until after Jesus was born. He did not there, he did not there want, let me stop here, okay. Woo. He did not want there to be any confusion about the virgin birth of the Messiah. Self-discipline. He takes her as his wife. Doesn't consummate the marriage until after Jesus is born. He finishes the task that God had put before him. Then he named Jesus, and then he took him as his own, as his earthly father. He did everything that God had asked him to do, disciplined enough to do that. Alan Carr would say this, the real test of maturity is not what a person faces in life, nor is it revealed in what they are called on to do. The real evidence of the depth of a person's character is seen in what they do with what they are handed. It is one thing to be placed in a trial, but it is another thing altogether to respond to that trial in a proper manner. It is one thing to be called, called to carry a task for the Lord, but it is another thing altogether to do it without question. And Joseph did these very things. When his life was interrupted and God gave him a task, he did it in the proper manner and without question. In church, Joseph, barely mentioned in scripture, no recorded words, often looked over in most church history, was an ordinary guy whom an extraordinary God used to carry out his will. He was righteous, sensitive, obedient, self-disciplined, and these things God used in the life of Joseph as he would say yes to God, take Mary as his wife, give Jesus his name, and love Jesus as his known. And let me be very clear, it's not because of those things that God chose to use Joseph. God, by his grace and mercy, decided to use Joseph. But those were the, those were the things evident in his life that God would put into play in order to carry out this mission. Here's Joseph's legacy. He was a faithful, obedient servant who trusted and obeyed. We don't know what happened to how he ended his life. In fact, I was asked that question this morning. I was asked that question. I can't wait to figure out what happened to Joseph. We don't know what happened to Joseph. He died. We don't know when he died. He likely died like most Jewish men in that time. He probably died in earlier age. He probably was likely dead before Jesus started his public ministry. We, we, we don't really know. There's probably other resources out there to do this. But here's what I know is this. His legacy was this, based upon the text that we have in front of us. He was a faithful, obedient servant who trusted and obeyed. God wants to still use ordinary people to carry out his mission. And he may not call us to something as drastic as what he called Mary and Joseph to, to give, for Mary to give birth to the Messiah, for Joseph to do the things that he's done. But he may be calling you to surrender your life to him today. He may be calling you to go on a mission 
Maybe pack up and go on mission. Maybe to serve in short-term missions. He might be calling you to be the spiritual leader of your home or to share the gospel with somebody or to love your neighbor and invite them into your house for a meal. He might be calling you to give your time, talents, and treasures for the advancement of his kingdom. I don't know what he's calling you to do, but Joseph's legacy can be your legacy if you will be willing, just like Joseph, to say yes to God and immediately trust and obey. Let's pray together.